Well, good morning to you all. Uh, The Lord has so ordained and planned that today's lesson is a fantastic illustration of our service in which we got to dwell on God's um, glory that stems from his power, and ours dovetails directly with that. So we are going to be in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19, 2 Kings 18 and 19 today uh, together. But let's pray and entrust ourselves to God's care. Father, we confess that sin has been a mist and a darkness in our lives that clouds our judgment and has obscured our sight so that your mighty works seem to be far-off tales and mere stories to us. In some very great sense, we don't need more of your power. We need eyes of understanding to see your power. We know that you are already at work, but we need hearts of faith to believe that you are at work. And so may the testimony of your word today be both an encouragement to us, because we are fainting and weak, but also a a rebuke and warning to us, lest we fail of heart and faith, thinking that you are not active in this world. Give us great hope and confidence from your word and its testimony that you have for us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Life invites comparison. What's the best meal? You know, sometimes you're the wife of the family, the mom of the family. Hey, what do you guys want to eat? What's your favorite? And then you have to sort through a ranking of your favorite meal. Which one is the best? Who is the smartest? Let's call him valedictorian. Who's the strongest? You know, let's give him some medal for winning that. Who is the fastest? Who is the richest? But today's passage addresses a concern of the, of the human heart that rings true throughout all of history, and that is who really is the strongest? Who has the power to deliver? Who has enough, not only will, but the might to back his will so that no one can stay his hand? No one can say to him, what are you doing? In a way that would imply stoppage because his power is inexorable, his power is thorough. We have a testimony given to us in, chapter, in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19, continuing forward the life of Hezekiah, and one of the apex moments of Israel's history, a moment, specifically Judah, but a moment in which it seemed impossible that Judah would survive. And yet the power of the Lord is on display for us. Let's read these passages together. 2 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 17. And the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rabsaris, and the Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they arrived, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, was on the highway to the washer's field. And when they called for the king, there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. And the Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? And whom do you now trust? 
that you have rebelled against me. Behold, you're trusting now in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. Uh, But if you say, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed? Saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Uh, Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses, if you're able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Moreover, uh, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this place to destroy it? Uh, The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us and the city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me. Come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine, and each one of you of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey that you may live and not die. And do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvim, Hena, and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who, among all the gods of the lands, have delivered their lands out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? This is the testimony and the word of the Lord. Do you sometimes think when you're listening to a story like this that you're almost watching a bunch of, oh, I don't know, say junior high or high school males puffing themselves in front of the girls? You know, they want to do something really cool and, hey, look, look what I can do. I'm stronger, I'm better, I'm faster. And you're like, really, do you think the high school girls are going to be like, oh, I've got to have him ask me out. Look what he was able to do. He juggled the soccer ball 30 times and not merely, tw- merely 28. You know, or something like that. This is the, the bravado, bravado, the puffery, the arrogance, the thumping of our chest of humanity, trying to establish su- supremacy and superiority as if somehow by words we can influence Let's just call the Rab Shakab the minister of propaganda, shall we? Because that's pretty much what he is. He's a person that you, you say, ah, oh, he, he's eloquent of tongue. He's going to really uh, lower the boom on them. He's going to throw fear into their hearts and simultaneously unnerve them that at the same time he's, he's trying to call them out so they'll just surrender to me. It's going to work out really well. But it's all bravado. Just a couple weeks ago, I looked outside because I heard a squawking, and there were two birds, two male birds, you know, at each other, trying to, to show who was supreme. I listened to their, their gawking and squawking for a couple of minutes until I was annoyed, and then what did I do? 
I opened the door. And they both took off. Suddenly they're squawking and gawking over who was supreme. Didn't so much matter when there was a, a tyrannical force that was coming opposite them that could destroy them both in a moment's time. They're gone. Well, the testimony of our text before us today is this. Because there is no power like the Lord's, trust Him. Trust Him always, but especially trust Him in dire circumstance. Because that is exactly what Judah faces in this moment. And I I never think that these are coincidences, so I don't know what that means for either our week collectively um, as members of this church or maybe a few of you sitting in here that the Lord has so arranged that our worship service was entirely on Psalm 29 addressing the power of the Lord and therefore his glory. And now we turn, I'm sitting there, I even flipped open my notes in the middle of the service. I was very distracted. And I'm, I'm looking at my notes and I pointed to one of my children, I'm like, look, he's like, pastor literally just said those very words right there. So something that the Lord wants us to attend to, of course, he always wants us to attend to his word, but this is vital that we grasp. There is no power like the Lord's. Everything else is foolish puffery. Notice that the passage tells us that God's truth exposes the incoherent lies of the wicked. And we normally find this with ministers of propaganda. Did you notice how quickly the Rabshakeh changed his base of operations? He, he could never stay on any one point for very long because if he actually stayed on any point, the people would have time to think, no, no, wait, 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 wait. Back up a minute. That thing that you just said is blatantly false. Or, now wait a minute. That thing that you just said contradicts something you said earlier. So he just keeps shifting his base of operations or his basis of argument. Uh, back in the day, Uh, that we engaged in debate in high school, debate competitions. We used to call that snowing your opponent. So I put a nice picture of snow here up on the screen. Snowing your opponent. Why, dump a whole bunch of unrelated, incoherent, semi-arguments without evidence on your opponent. Leave him staggering and reeling under this weight of non-evidence so that he doesn't even realize you've never backed your case. And, and what's even better when you're in debate is that the negative rebuttal doesn't always have enough time to address all of the shifting bases of the affirmative side. And, and because he doesn't have enough time, he may drop a few of your points, and then you get up as the affirmative next time, and you're like, judge, you will notice that he never addressed these points, so he must agree with me, and therefore you flow these over and I win the debate. And, when, and, a, and a shrewd judge is sitting there going, wait a minute, all you did is puff. You, 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 you did not substantiate anything. And if your opponent, by the way, ever recognizes that, now you're toast. Because he tells the judge, judge, you'll notice that all the arguments were unsubstantiated and all he's doing is snowing. He's just dumping a whole bunch of stuff out there, hoping he wins the argument by default. Well, you know what the Lord does? He lets the propaganda minister hang himself. Go ahead, Rabshakeh. I'm not going to answer you for a while. I'll just sit back over here and let you puff away. 
And in the process of your puffing, you know what you're going to do? You're going to contradict yourself. In the process of your puffing, you're going to demonstrate that you don't actually have power like you claim. If you had power like you claim, you would be punching through the walls of Jerusalem right now. Instead, you're hoping desperately that you convince the people inside the city that you are powerful when you are not, so that they simply give up. God exposes the incoherent lies of the wicked. So let's pick apart the lies of this Assyrian official. To begin with, the wicked create a false foe. Now it is true that Hezekiah has cast off the shackles, as it were, of Assyria and not become a vassal to Assyria. But it is an overstatement to say that Hezekiah has run down pleading to Egypt, going, oh, Egypt, you know, I have no hope other than you. Oh, and by the way, Egypt has not yet been conquered by Assyria. Oh, it will, off in the future, a son of Sennacherib by the name of Esar Haddon will expand the Assyrian Empire to its height, and he will actually defeat the king of, of Egypt. But at this point, there's a lot of false foes. The Rabjakov, first of all, says, you're trusting in Egypt. Well, no, Hezekiah's trusting in the Lord. But Egypt is a lot easier to knock over than the Lord, isn't it? Isn't it? So, we'll, we'll, you know, you see guys doing this all the time in sports, where they're trash-talking each other. And you point to the weak link who's third string on the sideline, and you're like, you trust that guy to run your football team? You guys don't have a chance if you got guys like that on your football team. And you're like, well, we have the best quarterback in the state. Why don't you address him? Why are you picking on the third string guy who's on the bench and never gets to play in any game? That's a false foe. What do we call that in, in argumentation? Where, where you create an argument and lift it up as if this is really what your opponent is holding to because it's a puff piece and you're able to knock it down really easily. It's a straw man. It's a straw man. Okay? Notice that the wicked in this world are definitely not above using straw men. Here's a straw man. (laughs) You say that God is sovereign. True. And you say that he is powerful. True. If God is so sovereign and so powerful, why is there evil in the world? Straw man. Now, the problem of evil is a major problem for ethicists to deal with. But in terms of calamity, which is frequently what a lot of people are addressing, the fact that I suffer sicknesses and injuries and you suffer sicknesses and injuries, if your God is able to heal then why doesn't he do so? And I just smile and go, he is and will. First of all, my God, unlike your gods, is able to guarantee me eternal life. How much of your uh, money is going to guarantee you eternal life? How much of your hope and evolutionary theory is going to guarantee you eternal life? My God has guaranteed me eternal life. Second, God told me I was going to face problems in this world because I am a fallen wreck of a human being, being regenerated by Christ, 
and guaranteed that hope of eternal life that we've already referenced. And he promises that it is one day, someday, that he will heal all these problems. Until then, just like the Apostle Paul, I carry the weaknesses, the sicknesses, the thorns in the flesh, and continue to trust him. So don't give me any of your straw men. Well, Rapchika tried. Hmm. That's not really working real well. Let's change to a new base of attack. Verse 22. The wicked voice, bad theology. Note Rabshakeh's next point of propaganda. Hezekiah has been tearing down all the altars of your God. So what do you think your God's going to do about that? I mean, look, if, if Hezekiah is dishonoring God, then God's not going to support you guys anyway. Really? I thought Hezekiah was tearing down all the false worship. So, you know, you're you're bluffing because the wicked don't even understand theology, yet they're trying to attack you on the basis of theology. Which means, by the way, if we know good theology, then most of the accusations and most of the uh, critiques of the world fall on appropriately deaf ears because we just smile and go, you don't know what you're talking about. You do not know what you're talking about. You have never actually studied biblical theology. You have not looked at the scriptures with any kind of serious mindedness to grasp what God has said about himself, this world, and the things in it. Hezekiah had done exactly what God required. Hezekiah was on God's side. Hezekiah wasn't overthrowing the worship of the true God. Oh, but the wicked love to create sectarianism. The Rabshakeh was counting on a bunch of the Judeans who were listening to him make these accusations. He was counting on their starting to nod their heads. Yeah, Hezekiah did do that. Yeah, he did tear down all those altars. Yeah, if he tore down all those altars, then God's going to be mad at us. And then there's what... How can we defend ourselves in such a case? Hezekiah held out to the people the only real hope of salvation, faith and obedience to God. So what we have here is a situation where uh, dynamite is in view. You say, what do you mean? Well, I think some of you know the backstory in, in regard to dynamite. Alfred Nobel and his family owned an arms manufacturer, in Europe. Only uh, arms manufacturers had a tricky, tricky thing to navigate in the 1800s. Uh, they typically used nitroglycerin and a lot of explosives, railroad, to, to, you know, dig railroad tunnels and many things like that. And nitroglycerin explodes if you cough on it. <coughs> uh, Got to build a new armament factory. Somebody else is carrying a flask of nitroglycerin and there's a, just a little unevenness in the floor. Got to build a new armament factory. So Alfred Nobel and family in the process of experimentation actually came up with a way to stabilize nitroglycerin significantly by mixing it with diatomaceous earth. And so the nitro is actually absorbed by the diatomaceous earth and you have some other fillers or sawdust and a few other things in it that stabilize and it kept it from being so volatile so that you could eventually reach a point 
and this is later on, you eventually would reach a point that you could stabilize it even further. It requires a blasting cap to set off, and that was super stable. But Nobel was uh, very disappointed that his new discovery was immediately adopted by armies around the world and used for violence, hence the establishment of the Nobel Prizes and a devotion of an immense fortune that that family had made to kind of undo some of the damage of the discovery of the stabilizing of nitroglycerin. So dual roles, good and bad. It's very much like theology, where a good theology can be used incredibly constructive in very powerful ways for righteousness' sake, but you have somebody else come in with a jar of nitroglycerin and spill it all over things, and you kind of blow things up theologically and spiritually. Well, guess which one Rabshaka is? he's going to end up blowing up more than himself in the end. Because threatening God and using vindictive and unsupportable theology against the people of God might just arouse God's ire in such a way that he would respond. And if he ever responds, there is no power to resist him. Third, the wicked abuse the righteous. Verses 23 and 24. Not long, to, not to delay his absurd at- attacks, the Rabshakeh promptly moves on to mockery of the people. So this is his third base. And it, none of these are related to each other. It's like he's jarringly sh- shifting his attack from one point to another. So let's bring this into the vernacular. You ignorant Christians, you don't have any idea how life really works. I would appoint every one of you a U.S. senator, but you wouldn't know what to do with it since you don't know anything about negotiation, real compromise. I I would give you a million dollars, but you wouldn't know how to invest it in anything useful. So stop imposing your narrow-minded bigotry on national issues and stay in line. Oh, and by the way, vote for me. Or what about this one? You don't know enough to educate your own children. I'd put every one of you over a kindergarten class if if I thought you could teach even basic spelling and numbers. But since you don't have any idea like we elitists what issues really matter and what we really ought to teach children, just shut up. The PTA meeting wasn't really for you to voice your concerns anyway. So let us decide if we want to undermine morality, decency, freedom, human rights, and prosperity in the name of our own agenda. Isn't that what he did? We'd give you a thousand horses if we thought you could even put riders on them. You guys are so militarily incompetent and inept. We could provide you tanks and missiles and airplanes, and you couldn't drive them, fire them, or fly them. You're like, seriously? I mean, Judah has been fighting its enemies. Under Hezekiah, it has already been fighting and defeating the Philistines. We covered that several weeks ago. It has been fighting Edom and defeating Edom. So, yeah, it knows what to do militarily. But all he's engaging in here is another kind of argument tactic that's illegitimate, and that is insulting your opponent just insulting him and insulting him, trying to make him feel bad, trying to get him to buy into ineptitude so that he feels like he can't compete with you. What, what debate tactic is that? Spending all your time attacking the person rather than reality. 
Anybody know that one? You can call it out if you know it. The Latin is against the man. Let's attack the person. Ad hominem. Ad hominem. That's a great tactic, because then you don't have to talk about the issues. You don't have to talk about your own reversals, your own failures. You don't have to talk about the fact that the Assyrian kings keep dying too and leaving their kingdom to their kids. Huh, funny thing. I guess Assyria is not all powerful after all. The Rabshakeh was not far off from the wicked of her own day in just abusing the righteous with his verbiage. And is God going to let that stand? The wicked claim divine support. Isn't this one the most laughable among them all? This one is particularly audacious. The Rabshakeh actually claims that he invaded on divine initiative, and not just any old god. He doesn't say, I invaded after consulting the gods of Assyria. He actually says, the Lord, and he uses the name Yahweh. Yahweh told me to invade the land. I almost wish we could get some of the wicked saying stuff like that today. Because you rise to a certain level of outright blasphemy, and you literally threw the gauntlet into God's own face. And it's not going to end well. <laughs> Can we bait the, the wicked? No, never mind. We shouldn't, shouldn't be doing that. We're trying to win them, not bait them. But this is audacious. He claims divine support. Uh, wait a minute. We have heard this. March 2022, Nancy Pelosi described herself as, quote, a devout Catholic. Now, while we strongly aver from the Roman religion, right? Uh, Roman Catholicism teaches salvation by works, by attending the Mass, by following the traditions of the Catholic Church, by submitting to a mere human's authority in the Pope and multitudes of other uh, problematic uh, unbiblical doctrines, while I can say all of that, Nancy Pelosi is no more a devout Catholic than I am an astrophysicist. The extent of my astrophysicization, I don't know, how, what do you make an adjective out of that? The extent of my ability with the stars is, I walked out the other morning, and my dad's like, what is that really bright one? And I went, wait, 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 wait. I've got an app here, Sky Guide. And I can turn it on any time of the day or night. And if I punch the little compass in the corner, <gasps> that is, oh, it's an H2A rocket. It actually is right over there in that direction. Huh. Who knew? <laughs> it was Venus. I should have known, right? So you have the morning star. It's going to be the last thing you can see in the sky other than the moon in the morning. In America, to come out and say, I'm a self-serving atheist whose only real God is myself and I worship whatever brings me most power and money, probably will result in a fall from grace. So we have wicked people who hate God, who hate religion generically, who hate ethics, who hate morality, and again, whose only God is themselves, pontificating somehow when it nears election times about how grand they are. About I actually looked up this one, okay? Uh, you can find a listing online of the presidents and all of their religions, and they're all Christian with the exception of Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson, potentially. Like, they're all Christian. They've all claimed to be Christian. 
Barack Obama, who particularly hated Christianity, pretended like he was Christian to get enough votes to be president of the United States. That's nothing different than what the Rab Shukah was doing in the ancient world. God told me I was supposed to run for political office. and No, he didn't. No, he didn't. And in fact, just, just wait, just wait. The Lord's going to embarrass you soon enough. The wicked make empty promises. Next, the Rabshakeh engages in the wildest of mental gymnastics to turn slavery into freedom, a loss of property into blessing, and mass slaughter into life. Did, did you follow that? Hey, guys, if you will just submit to us, you, could, you can just sit there, you know, uh, relaxing on the beach, having everything that is good in life. And I'll come a little while later, and I'm just going to, it's just a small pro- procedural thing. It's nothing big. I'll take you, and I'll bring you to a land that's just like your own, where your life of ease, rolling in the mucho dinero, it's all going to be good. And like, no, 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 that's not what Assyria did. Assyria tortured and mutilated its enemies and bragged about it and even carved it into the walls of their cities and basically said, hey, everybody else, look how cruel and vile and depraved and wicked and malicious. And go ahead and you can keep on stringing the adjectives out there while I continue on with the lesson. This is how bad we really are. They're not planning. Yeah, they are planning to deport you. That was the only element of truth there. But it's not going to be to a great and wonderful place where life is going to be easy. They're going to take everything that was valuable away from you. Make your peace and come out to me. Wow. Just wow. Assyria is exactly the opposite of what it claims to be. Making empty promises with no intention. No intention of giving good to the people. That sounds very much like our day as well. Empty promises. Hey, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Has anyone in here kept his doctor from prior to that statement? Anybody? Anyone? Ah, we do have one. We have a taker back here. You you win the prize. I didn't bring the prize. Sorry. Oh, well. So in, in this entire room, two people, the rest of us have had to switch. In fact, we've had to switch repeatedly, and it's cre- there, was never an in- there was never an intent to do good for the people, ever. It never crossed their minds to do good for the people. They would never do that. What they would do is manipulate to buy votes for their own power, and try to paint outright bribery as if it were a good thing. That much I do believe from politicians, okay? This is not designed to be a trash politicians. They just happen to align with the Rab Shakah, okay? It's, it's a fact of life that the wicked in our own world look very much like this. Are we surprised when in America today, actual slavery is couched as progressivism? Violent suppression of truth is couched as tolerance. Anybody watch the interview with the new Speaker of the House? Democrats are already coming out to trash him. Why? Because he's a Christian, or at least claims to be a Christian. And in an interview, my dad said he he went through 30 different issues in 42 minutes, and every single one he had a biblical answer for. I don't know the man 
I don't know the inside out. I'm not puffing or posting him. We will have to wait and see what he's really like. Um, but the Democrats are already attacking him. And one of the things is that is, how dare we elect a person who actually believes the Bible? He's going to stamp, you know, theocracy on the whole. And that's back to this kind of nonsense. And his response to that is very simple. He goes, yes, I'm a Christian. And yes, if we followed the, the, the principles of Scripture, we would be a better society. He goes, but that's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to uphold the rule of law in a multicultural society. So I will do everything in my power to live righteously and honorably and with integrity. Here are my positions on these issues. And they literally are screaming at him, you don't have a right to believe that. Because that's intolerant. I'm like, no, the progressive brand of tolerance is raw slavery, where you have no right to believe anything other than exactly what they tell you to do. Constant. The mass murder of defenseless human beings is reproductive rights. Debauched self-mutilation is called enlightened. The wicked make a lot of empty promises. The wicked insult the truth and power of God. Finally, Rabshakeh gets to the point. I imagine at this point that the smile and the veneer came off of his smooth words that he was using up to this point, and he could not help sneering his disdain. No gods of any nation have ever stood in our way, and your pathetic, puny faith in a pathetic, puny God is not going to stop us either. And if I were on the wall, I'd raise my hand. Pick me, pick me, pick me. Yes, I see that hand on the wall. Didn't just a minute ago you tell us that you were coming in the name of the Lord and that he told you to come? So why are you trashing him now? Shut up. (laughs) Of course, the wicked argumentation is incoherent because all of it was on a false basis. All of it was manufactured from their own imaginations. But he gets to the real point. We don't believe your God, and we don't believe your God can do anything to help you. This has been a torrid deluge of lies and propaganda. So how can we say that God actually exposes the wicked? Well, don't you get it? It's here for us to read. We know what happened to Assyria. This is quite literally the turning point of the empire. Oh, it's going it's to have a little bit of a gasp right after Sennacherib, Esarhaddon takes Egypt. But anybody know what happens after they take Egypt? Complete collapse. In 60 years, Assyria is no more and has never been resurrected. Babylon's been in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out of favor over the years. Assyria's gone, completely destroyed, walls of Nineveh undermined. Some of the soldiers and leaders fled and were able to hold out until 609 BC in another location, but then it ceased to exist completely. Buried, burned, undermined, and killed. In one generation, God brought the largest world reigning empire to date, to that point in human history, in 60 years, crickets. It wasn't even a K 
county or a state or a small little backwater country. It didn't exist. That's what I mean when I say that God destroy, he exposes the lies of the wicked. He lays bare that all of this is raw puffery of wicked people. A nation that engages in a sustained attack on God's people through propaganda and lies might just face a catastrophe that can bring them to ruin in a single generation. Well, let's keep going. This story is awesome. It, just, it, it moves. It moves fast. As soon as Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary and the senior priest, covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by his sword in his own land. The Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning Tirhaka, king of Cush. Behold, he is set out to fight against you. So he sent messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. Shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezif, and the people of Eden who are in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the, Sephar, of the city of Sepharvim, the king of Henar, the king of Iva? Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, Enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib with which he is sent to mock the, king, uh, mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the works of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. God's glory overturns the blasphemy of the wicked. Notice, and we move very quickly here because we're moving towards a crescendo point. God hears the depth of your distress. It does not seem like part of God's glory to hear our distress, but God actually exalts his role as a kind deliverer. 
Like, how, how does it exalt a person to listen to the cries of the helpless? Because his name is deliverer. His name is Savior. And therefore, he is emblazoning his name across the heavens every time he rescues his people in any way. Of course, ultimately, final and chief fulfillment in Jesus Christ himself. God hears the depth of your distress. God confuses the plans of the wicked. Look at the chain of events. The Rabshakeh moseys back to Lachish where he left the king, but he finds the king is gone. Well, that's a bit disconcerting. The king moved to Libna instead and apparently hadn't informed his chief servant, I'm leaving, something's up. But then there's a rumor from the south that the king of Cush, which is modern Ethiopia, Sudan, was moving against him, and that brought all of his other plans to confusion. So far, he's been able to stroll up to the cities, invest them, surround them in a leisurely way, and basically starve them into submission. Now a power that could actually threaten his own is moving against him. Or is it? I could find no historical evidence that that Cush ever came up against Assyria. I read some articles and and dug in the history for a little while. Perhaps it happened at some point. Perhaps the report was true. I just couldn't find evidence of it. It may be that the Lord caused a rumor to completely destroy Sennacherib's plans and the king of Assyria's plans to bring them to nothing. God confused the plans of the wicked. I was going to invest Jerusalem, but I couldn't even invest Lachish all the way to the defeat. Now I had to break the siege of Libna because a report of an enemy coming up against me who didn't even come up against me, and it's all confusion from this point on. I love it. He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Yeah, I get almost, without mockery, with any type of lightness at all in my heart, but taking up that psalm, I can think of the Lord basically going, watch this. Look how little I have to do to wreck his entire military campaign. A little bird brought me a message that says an enemy is coming up against me from over here. Oh no, oh no, oh no. We break the sieges and move off. And so what we have, the Rabshakeh has to move from Jerusalem over towards Lachish, then he has to go to Libna, then he has to move down into the south to confront an enemy that doesn't even exist. God proves his own uniqueness. Now the gloves come off. The propaganda minister has completely forgotten his slippery smoothness and issues a violent challenge. I'm coming back and there is no God who's going to stop us. Hezekiah's response I'm going to tattle. (laughs) No, it's not tattling. He just takes the letter and goes and tells the Lord about it. Here, Lord, check out what they've said. I think you can figure out what to do with it on your own. I'm not going to give you advice in the matter, but you need to pay attention here. This is what the wicked are saying about you. As the days of our own nation grow darker due to cultural sins, we have to make sure that our stand for what is right comes in the name of the Lord, not our personal comfort. Hezekiah did not ask for a specific form of deliverance. What he did is say, Lord, this is what they're saying about you. Again, I think you have the wisdom to figure out what's the best thing to do next, but you need to know. Open your eyes and see Open your ears and hear. 
This is the challenge that the wicked are giving. Well, see how this point grows even more intense in the final section of the chapter. Then Isaiah, the son of Amoz, sent to King Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word of the Lord that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you, virgin daughter of Zion. She wags the head behind you, daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have mocked the Lord and you have said, With many chariots I have gone up to the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon. I felled its tallest cedars. Isn't it interesting that the psalm we read today has God felling those cedars? (laughs) Divine providence. I felled its choicest cypresses. I entered its farthest lodging place, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank foreign waters. I dried up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard that I, the Lord, determined it long ago? I planned. Now it's switched around. The Lord is speaking, not Assyria. I planned. From days of old, what now I bring to pass, that you should turn fortified cities into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and to become like the plants of the field and like tender grass, the grass on the housetops blighted before it's even grown. But I know your sitting down and your going out and coming in and your raging against me. Because you have raged against me and your complacency has come into my ears, I will put my hook into your nose and my bit into your mouth. And I will turn you back by the way which you came. And this shall be the sign for you. This year eat what grows of itself and the second year what springs of the same. And the third year you sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there or come against it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way he came, by the same he shall return and shall not come into the city, declares the Lord. The Lord is vowing here, by the way. And when God vows, there is nothing that is going to stop what comes next. But notice all this has been back and forth in verbiage. The whole passage is dialogue. The battle's already won. God has issued the edict. He has already sent the judgment, which is flying on fast wings. I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Oh, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, they were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adramelech and Sherezer, his son, struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon reigned in his place. The end. God's judgment annihilates the strength of the wicked. There is only one sovereign, and he does not share his glory. That's one of the ones that was almost a direct quote. God does not share his glory. You want to take his glory? Big trouble is about to ensue. 
God says, you thought you were insulting Jerusalem. You were insulting me. You thought you expanded your empire by your own power. You did so by my commission and plan. You thought you could blaspheme my name and get away with it. You have blasphemed one that will make you a captive and a slave, the hook in the nose and the bit in the mouth. You thought you could conquer Judah. You won't even shoot a single arrow against my city. You're doomed. I love it. I mean, you don't like doom, but when God speaks, the power. And there's only one judge, and his judgment is just. just. How anticlimactic is this? Again, I've, and I've said to my classes this a lot at school. I said, as a guy, I think if Hollywood were making a movie about that, we'd try to reduce a lot of the verbiage up front, and then the angel of the Lord going out would be this really long section. There'd be wails and howls and the mist and, and, and death and battle and conflict, Just, and it would be drawn out. And to God, this is kind of like, oh, yes, and I've already sent the angel of death. By the way, it's called the angel of the Lord, and we don't know whether that is an angel or whether it is the angel of the Lord Christ himself delivering his people. Either way, it's over. It's over. The Assyrian came down like a wolf on the fold, and his cohorts were gleaming in purple and gold, and the sheen of their spears was like stars on the sea when the blue wave rolls nightly on deep Galilee. Like the leaves of the forest when summer is green that hosts with their banners at sunset were seen. Like the leaves of the forest when autumn hath blown, that host on the morrow lay withered and strown. For the angel of death spread his wings on the blast and breathed in the face of the foe as he passed. And the eyes of the sleepers waxed deadly and chill, and their hearts but once heaved and forever grew still. And there lay the steed with his nostril all wide, but through it there rolled not the breath of his pride. And the foam of his gasping lay white on the turf and cold as the spray of the rock-beating surf. And there lay the rider distorted and pale with dew on his brow and rust on his mail. The tents were all silent, the banners alone, the lances unlifted, the trumpets unblown. And the widows of Asher, all loud in their wail, and the idols are broke in the temple of Baal, and the might of the Gentile, unsmote by the sword, hath melted like snow in the glance of the Lord. Many of you recognize the poem from George Gordon, Lord Byron, whose life I do not recommend, but he got this one right. Because there is no power like the Lord's, trust him always and ever. Father, we're thankful for a beautiful picture and testimony this week of your glory, your majesty, your power. May we trust you as we go to serve you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.